Uh, it's no good any longer just throwing up your hands and saying that's just the way EMS is. Um, it's no good saying it's somebody else's problem. Um, you know, it's uh, it's something that we all need to work on um, as as a as a civilization as a civilized society. We need to address this issue and we need to do it quickly. This episode of EMS One Stop is brought to you by Lexapol, the experts in policy, training, wellness support and grants assistance for first responders and government leaders. To learn more, visit lexapol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L.com. I cannot imagine from my what I see being done out there every day that people are talking about this, you know. It's like they're burying their head and like, what do you think is gonna happen? Like, this is gonna go back to normal? Or all of a sudden, you know, a whole generation of people, like we're gonna go into EMS, there's very low incentive to do this, you know? Like, it's physically, emotionally taxing and, and the financial rewards, again, you hate to put money to it, but like, everybody's gotta make a living. Hello and welcome back to another edition of uh, the EMS One Stop. I'm your host, Rob Lawrence. And first of all, Happy New Year. I hope you had a great holiday period, are back ready and refreshed for what's to come. Of course, uh, what did we get for Christmas? We got the EMS Prize. What is the EMS Prize? It means we get to do it all again this year. So uh, we look forward to that. Now, we're going to talk about uh, Honourable But Broken, uh, a documentary that's been created by my guest this week, uh, Bryony Gilby. Bryony, welcome. Thanks for having me, Rob. It's good to be back. Yes. Uh, now, we've done a podcast on this before, way back when, when you were in the middle of sort of production, uh, you had produced a number of teasers. And one of these you would have already seen uh, in the start of the show. But uh, just take us back to the beginning and A, introduce yourself and B, give us the nugget of the idea that you had to produce this documentary based on your experience and obviously that of your family and, of course, that of New York. Absolutely. Um this is, uh, I, have, I have a background in long news format production, um, 60 Minutes and ABC News productions in the past. Um, this is something that came into um, my life in the form of my children, really, uh, but also neighbors and friends who were part of our volunteer ambulance corps in the town where I live. Um, and as I was was speaking to people who were involved, um, I really sort of was shocked at not just the job, which I sort of understood, but really didn't, um, but also the pay levels and the benefits packages and all the things that, that come with it. Um, <clears throat> and I decided because this was not a story that was being, was being given enough attention, um, that I would try and look into it and see if I could I could do something with it. Um, it's really surprising in this day and age to find a story this compelling that isn't being covered. Uh, so I kind of ran with it. Uh, I decided to do it um, on my own as an independent film, um, working with Rich Diefenbach and a very good editor. We started looking into doing a um, sort of a day in the life of someone in EMS. Um, and it rapidly transitioned into um, more of an essay-type documentary. Um, my daughter, who who isn't in the film, um, is a paramedic now and, and uh, was very helpful in introducing me to people that she worked with 
Um, my my neighbor at the time, Dan Blom, was also helpful um, in a lot of ways, background and also making introductions. Um, uh, our county uh, executive, George Latimer and Richard Wishney, commissioner of EMS, opened doors for us at the local hospitals. Um, and then at the federal level, we, we were fortunate enough to partner with the NAMT um, and they um, gave us access to their board at EMS on the Hill uh, that first year to talk about what was going on around the country and what they were doing along with the American Ambulance Association to um, try and push for new legislation and push for EMS leadership um, within legislative um, areas. So the story kind of built on itself uh, in that regard. Um, and here we are today <laughs> with a piece that is an hour, but it's packed full of information. Um, and it's really been well received both in the EMS community and, and outside uh, by people like me three years ago who had absolutely no idea what EMS does and how it's structured. So that's a, a, a good point to segue into my next question. And we'll mention NAMT and AAA and the partnership they and others have formed and the calls to action after the break. But obviously what you've done is told a story pretty much from the layperson's view. Obviously, as you said, you had no sort of idea other than hearing from your daughter about the, the issues of EMS. So once you started digging, what did you, the investigative layperson, journalist, um, filmmaker, find? Uh, I found that I had made a lot of assumptions, um, again, I think, as most people do, um, that EMS and the police and fire, the, the 911 first responders, um, were basically part of a single group. I sort of had lumped them all together um, as in terms of their um, the respect that they were given and the pay that they were given and the benefits packages that they're given. Um, and I found that that was not the case at all, um, which is really disappointing and, and, and shocking. And I felt bad about myself, honestly, that I didn't know more about this. Uh, you know, certainly there are stories out there. It's not an unknown but it's just not getting the um, the spotlight that it requires. Um, so that that was really shocking, and and also meeting the people who work in EMS at all levels, just um, are incredible people, incredible people, as you would expect. But I I don't know how they stay in it, to be honest. I have nothing but admiration for people who work in EMS because it is a it's a wonderful job, but it's also incredibly grueling, both physically and mentally. Um, and it's it's there's there's very little tangible benefit to staying in it. Well, I think those that are listening or watching this know that. Uh, but of course, what we need is people like you to tell the story, and we are always and often accused of being, uh, you know almost reluctant to tell our story that we're bad of telling our story um of course you know in the news cycle these days it doesn't take much our story one story's up and then it's gone and then we're forgotten about again but hopefully something like this will be a tool in fact that we can use to um 
let our elected officials at no matter what level uh, listen to that we can maybe send it or, or draw attention to it to our local uh, media outlets um, and it's something that I hope that you will be able to get into more of a prime time uh, environment uh, to just help us continue to tell the story um, you know how can we see the finished product obviously we've seen the teaser trailers we've got them in this uh, show as well where can we go right now to be able to actually see the, the finished product uh, yes. Yeah, so for people who are working in EMS and working to educate their legislators, there is uh, an ability to download a link uh, through Prodigy EMS. Um, we are, at the moment, we're keeping it in that narrow field of access because we are still trying to get it on a national platform so that we can educate people in EMS. Because as, as you said, it, it's not enough for people an EMS to know what's going on. They already know what's going on, preaching to the choir. Um, people outside of EMS need to know, one, um, so they can show some respect to the services, but also because we need them to lobby their legislatures, legislators um, at all levels. Um, I think that's going to be a really powerful weapon. And whatever the film does to help with that, um, you know, is wonderful. So yes, it, it can be used. Um, there is a paywall because um, I think that will help with getting the argument there is it will help to get larger um, audiences um, and encourage people to bring their legislators, county executives to a screening um, it can be used as fundraiser. Um, and then, but we do not want to dilute um, the possibility of getting on a bigger platform for the public to see. Um, but yes, it, we, I, I love that it can be used in this kind of capacity. I, I really thoroughly encourage that. So I hope we'll actually have a screening at uh, the 2024 NAMSP in Austin. Uh, we're just uh, finalizing and confirming that, but we'd love for our uh, physician colleagues to come in and uh, view it. And as you said, this will be an excellent opportunity to have screenings so people can come in and uh, and watch. And uh, I think already you've had you've actually done that, though, right? You've actually been to Congress, I think. We have, yes, we were invited by the EMS caucus to show the film uh, November 1st. Um, and we had, you know, with a lot of we had a representative from New Jersey and we had um, a number of legislative aides and we had a ton of federal representation um from um cdc um dot um air force ems i mean a, a number of organizations and they were all there um you know to support and to see what could be done how they could help and we've made a tremendous amount of contacts in that from that um but also just from the link through uh prodigy ems which went out uh, a week ago monday I think we've had some almost 40 requests for screenings um, from Oklahoma to Illinois to California to New York State. I mean, it's it's across the country. People are, are organizing screenings for their legislators. And um, that's a really great development. Well, I have an event coming up in California in a few months' time at the at the state capitol. Maybe you know, we'll we'll do a showing there as well. Um, you, you did the showing on the hill. You mentioned you made a lot of contacts, but you know what was that kind of initial reaction? What was the first comment 
that the viewers in the room said came up and said to you afterwards obviously you, you may have had a q and a i don't know but uh, you know what what was the the initial gut reaction from the people that were watching uh, initially there was a very visceral response um a lot of um, tissues being used <laughs> there were there were a few you know people that really were moved um and I, you know, including myself, I, I, I did not really expected to tell a story. I did not think that it would have quite this reaction. Um, it's very a little emotional thinking about it, but it, it it makes me feel tremendously proud that we created something that makes people who work in EMS feel like they've been acknowledged and seen um, and represented. Um, and, and people who were on the periphery of the uh, services, I think were quite shocked. Um, I don't think, I think you can hear stories, but I think when you see, and that's the power of film, when you sit in an audience and you together experience some real pain and real fear um, from a very compelling human being, it, it, it makes a big difference. Um, it does. And I, I think that was the response that we got was that this uh, we put a very human face on these issues. You did, and obviously one of the continuing themes throughout the documentary uh, is that of uh, John Mondello. Um, yes. It's one of provider uh, behavioural health, mental health, and just the pure stress, particularly around the times of COVID. But there's always stress in EMS, and I think we had Matt Zavadsky talking about the fact that you know we we go from emotional trauma to trauma to trauma to trauma every single day it's you know people are having their once in a lifetime event we're seeing that once in a lifetime event five six times a day but john mondello is the the, the sort of one of the underlying themes of the documentary and let's just take a second to listen to that uh, or watch if you're on on youtube that particular trailer john was a joy in my life and that has been taken from me and his joy is gone from my family and it will never be the same. The loss of a child, first of all, shouldn't supersede the parent. And then to, you know, have him die with so much on his mind and so much troubling him, that's something that will never leave me. Um, and time does help, but it's just, it's rough for a long, long time. On behalf of John, I'd like things to get better. I don't want his death to be in vain. I, um, I try every day to take care of myself so that the rest of the family can prosper. But I miss him. Bryony, that's very, very powerful. Um, you know, you've probably seen that many, many times, but uh, when you watch that, what does it make you feel and think? I, it never it never gets easier. Um, and I can't imagine as a mother, um, having to go through that. And I know uh, Eileen and I have become friends through this. And I know she's surrounded by 
wonderful family members, but but John is always missing. And um, I, I'm really impressed by her. I mean, it, it just it gets me choked up every time, but I'm really impressed that she was able to uh, get through an interview and uh, and to see that sharing her story could potentially continue John's legacy of helping people because that's really what he wanted to do. And in this way, he still is. He's still showing um, to people outside, um, to the general public, what you know, what these circumstances can do. And he was a young, vibrant, intelligent, loved young man. And, uh, you know, if it can happen to him, it can happen to pretty much anyone. And it has, it happened. There was another suicide in FDNY EMS last week. It's, um, it's, ex it's exceptionally powerful. And uh, you just mentioned something I was going to say there, that uh, he's not, he wasn't the first, he isn't the only and sadly, he probably won't be the last because of the stresses of the role, because of the things we have to see, because of the, you know, post-traumatic stress injury that uh, that occurs throughout the job. And of course, that's uh, a major part. We we do what we do because I believe it's not a job; it's a way of life. I think that we do this for the love of helping other people, um, but of course, that comes at a cost. And certainly, John is sadly but one example of the, the the price that we pay. Um, but again, it makes the whole documentary compelling. It actually makes for the viewer. You know, we can all relate to that. We now all have, you know, a number, not many degrees of separation to somebody who's had some sort of post-traumatic stress injury, who's had, you know, had to leave the job because of the, the pressures of work. Um, and dare I say, have, you know, ultimately taken their lives and that, is is incredibly sad but i think to tell our story it's a this is a part of the story we have to tell it absolutely is um i i think most of us uh you know lay people can understand what we went through during covid um it was traumatic for all of us um and you multiply that to the power of a hundred is what people in as first responders were going through, particularly um, fr uh, frontline medical workers. But I think it is important to tell the story. And I think that's why Eileen decided to share it because um, it really is, it's not, he, he isn't an anomaly. He really is. John is really an example of just how bad it is. Um, and, I think on any given day, you know, that could be any number of people in EMS. It really is sometimes at the whim of a, of a bad call or coming down with COVID, and that's the final straw. And I think we really need to address so many issues in the mental health aspects of, of, of you know, this the services. And it's not, they should have access to trained medical professionals. Um, they should have healthcare packages. They should have um, support groups. And it, it need to work also on the kind of the structure of EMS so that it isn't something that is um, looked down upon to say, you know, I am not coping well. Um, we need to have all those services available. 
that's just that's just a basic need. So I intend to dedicate this particular episode of EMS One Stop to the memory of John Modello and others like him. But before we carry on, Bryony, and to allow us to have a moment to recover, let's just uh, have this message. Lexapol empowers first responders and public servants to best meet the needs of their residents safely and responsibly, serving more than 2 million public safety and government professionals in over 8,000 agencies and municipalities. Lexapol offers a range of solutions that includes policies, training, behavioral health resources, news and analysis, and grant assistance services for law enforcement, fire and rescue, EMS, local government, and other agencies dedicated to public safety. To learn more, visit lexipol.com. That's L-E-X-I-P-O-L dot com. Welcome back. You're listening to the first EMS One Stop of the Year uh, with my guest, uh, Bryony Gilby, and we're talking about uh, Honourable But Broken. But before we carry on, remember that uh, you can hear us on Apple Podcasts, also, if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, flick over to YouTube at the EMS One channel, where we're also a vodcast. Uh, so you not only can you hear us, you can see us. Uh, I also put up slides, images. Obviously, the trailers that we've talked about today are in full on the on the YouTube version of the video. Um, so please like and subscribe if you're listening to us. Uh, look at your look at your phone right now. There's a little plus mark at the top of your screen. Hit that. That means you've subscribed. So every time an episode of EMS One Stop drops, then you get notified that we're here. So uh, please do that. Please also take an opportunity to give us a great review, to uh, give us five stars, and uh, put us up the up the searchability, as they say. So honourable broken with Brian Gilby. Uh, thank you for that discussion uh, prior to the break. Um, Obviously, other folk appear in this documentary. We have pretty much uh, the NAMT board. Um, During the time that you film this, obviously the NAMT board rotate around, but uh, the likes of Bruce Evans, uh, Maria Beerman-Fote, Matt Zavadsky, all feature in that. They all have some fairly powerful messages to talk about, you know, and just to pick some off the top, you know, they talk about recruitment, retention, and retirement, Certainly, in my view, we, we, we're working on the recruitment, we're working on the retention, but we very rarely get to the retirement. And I think that's one of the things we need to create a longevity in EMS. And, and I think you, you convey that message very, very well. Yes, I mean, I think uh, it, it, it's, as I say, it's not, not a career they can really retire from. Um, it's certainly prohibitive in many respects, uh, because there just isn't the level, you just can't make a living um, for the most part. Uh, and those that do are really burning themselves out, um, doing back to back to back shifts in different agencies. So it's really, um, it's really something that we need to fix, uh, that there will be a cost to it, of course, um, because it's been left unattended to for so long. Um, but there are some real costs, um, both financial and from a personal level, um, personal perspective, there's some real costs to not doing something about it. Um, and I think that we are working on trying to get some data to try and figure out, you know, what the economies of scale and all those lovely things would be if you did improve some of the, streamline some of the services. 
um, certainly in the New York state level, that's something that I'm working on with a, with a group. Um, but also that like we're talking about John Mondello, the very human cost, and it doesn't even need to be that extreme. It's just people, people burning out, people feeling tired, um, not spending time with families, all those things. And, and, and on the other side, um, you know, in the, the general public side, you know, you're getting longer, longer times, longer call times, and you're getting people that are being brought to the hospital, if at all, by an ambulance in worse state because they weren't attended to in a timely manner. Um, and I think it was Matt Zavasky that said, you know, what what is the cost of a human life? Um, that's a very real cost. I think I'm going to jump in there because just to finish Matt's quote, and I think this is the really important bit, what is the cost of a human life to a politician? Absolutely. And I think that's the key piece. And, and thank you for saying that, Matt, because, of course, none of this happens. And we come back to one of the Rob soapboxes of the year, which is it all comes down to three little words, all in favour. If we don't get the vote, we don't get the permission. We don't get the money. We don't get the change. Uh, and so we have to be able to lobby effectively. And this is one tool to enable us to do that. It's another, this is another, you know, club in our golf bag, another, you know, tool in the box to help us to tell the story. And so thank you for doing that. But I think it's, it's vitally important. Another area that you touch on, and it's something that I'm certainly seeing a lot in the news log that uh, the American Amateur Association, the name High Collect and Collate, is volunteers and rurality. And normally, we want, they, they both go together. Um, they're both struggling. They're both breaking down. Um, and also, looking at Becker's this week, we're seeing a lot of rural hospital closures. And not only that, but rural hospital labor and delivery, OBGYN services and facilities closing. And so you're getting you know, hospital deserts. And what does that mean? It means it means longer transport times for ambulance services, which means if you have a longer transport time, you have less available in the location in which they're at, coupled with if they're in a rural areas, if they're volunteer. These things are all diminishing returns right now. And I think you draw attention to that. But uh, again, to my mind, that's another big area we've got to focus on. It really is. It comes down to... Um... And some of these costs are relatively hidden. Uh, I, and I think that's the that's the point of the film is to not only educate our legislators, but to educate the public who will then put pressure on the legislators. Um, yes, I, I mean, I, I can only, I think that there is a lot more willingness at this point for i mean ems is so siloed or has been so siloed but that's no longer a good enough excuse for what's going on and i think that there's a real push now for conversations i mean certainly whenever we've had a, a small local screening the q a quickly becomes less about the film and more about well here's what i'm seeing in my county and here's what i'm seeing in my whether it's volunteer hospital-based um or fully professional i mean it, it's private services it's we need to work together and yes if, if you change one law to help volunteer ambulance corps you might not benefit private agencies but then you know maybe we do we change another law to get if we all work together and make a legislative package where we all benefit um that's certainly that's something that we're working on in new york with a number of of county um and state legislators to try and have conversations about it because simply saying 
well, that's just EMS or that's we're so siloed, it's never going to work. It, it doesn't get us anywhere. You know, it's it's um, conversations have to be had. Language has to be developed. Um, and we have to just be open to maybe not getting exactly what we want the first time around. And of course, what we're seeing, and, and this is going to be another one of my uh, writing op-eds in EMS1, is the, the closures of 2023 because of all of the things we're talking about, you know, that diminishing return. We've seen, I don't know whether it's a record number, but certainly a considerable number of agencies, mostly in the rural environment, closing because there's no people and, more importantly, there's no money. And funding, you know, I... Again, Robism, standby, EMS is a business, like it or not, because even not-for-profit doesn't mean all for free. You have to have that cost of readiness, and you discuss that in the documentary. The fact that we, we show up at one person's house in a day, you know, we've had to be there 24 hours to wait for that call. There's a cost in people. There's a cost in equipment. Um, if you try and buy an ambulance these days, there's, there's going to be sticker shock, I can tell you, because that is an immense, uh, an immense cost. All of these things add up. And, of course, the reimbursement that goes with that doesn't add up. And, of course, there's a lot of legislating from all of our uh, national associations to – and, again, I'll talk about that in a second. But it's just a, a snowball that seems to be growing and rolling faster and faster down the hill right now. Yes, as a as – a... One of our board members I, – I won't name him, but he he has a lovely phrase, which is that the math ain't mathing. Um, and I think that's exactly right. I, I just, I, you know, it's amazing that it's lasted as long as it has. Uh, and I think if it was sort of a more unified service in terms of the way that it's um, structured, I think that they would have been on strike and like the nurses or the, you know, the United Auto Workers Unions um, would have had a tremendous strike and pay rise by now. That's just not the way it's structured, unfortunately. But um Yes, I, I. It's really incredible when you do start to look at real data. Um, it's incredible that there are any services still functioning, and we and they, we they do need to be paid for, um, you know, for treatment in place and for cancelled calls and all those hours that they put in, um, that don't result in a trip to the hospital, which is often more often than not probably the the best result. Um, and to to urgent care to treatment to and to transport to urgent care centers, um, that is all something that is hugely beneficial to society to patients. Um, you know, and I, I know that the hospitals don't love that because obviously they make a tremendous amount of money from their ER, but um, you know that's something that has to be addressed. If if the work isn't paid for, then then it's it's not going to be. It's not going to be done eventually. It's not going to be something that we can count on. So you said something profound there that really crosses over the conversation we've just had. That you know hospitals may make a lot of money from their ER, and when they don't, they close them. And we've seen that in uh, just go to Becker's review, which of course looks very much at the hospital side of of news, and you'll see they are closing with uh, with amazing regularity. Now, of course, mm -hmm. it's kind of call to action time, and I went through both NAMT and AAA's legislative agenda for next year. And what, what this is what they've got on the go. And obviously this using this documentary to, to help push 
the legislative agenda, and of course the legislative agenda means that can get us those three little words, get things changing. But here's what's on the go right now. And you again, you touch on some of this. Um, EMS Counts Act, this is what NEMT are up to. EMS Counts Act, we don't actually know how many providers are out there providing. So therefore, and again, this is a Department of Labor Statistics piece of work to actually work out, well, is he a firefighter? Is he an EMT? Is he a paramedic? Is he a firefighter paramedic? So we've got to work that out. Tip and Tad, you mentioned treatment in place and transport to alternate destinations. Again, to be reimbursed mostly, and actually there are some states now, Brian, that have dry run the ability to build for a dry run, so treatment sort of arrive on scene. Um, again, we're actually surveying that. There, there are a few out there, but but in the main, tip and tad. And again, here's a here's a Robert. Let's just get rid of the acronyms, please, because if I said tip and tad to a politician, they have no idea what I'm talking about. So treatment in place and treatment to alternate destinations. Um, the siren grant really important. It's about funding rural um, public safety, and so we need to. Or need to push for that that extension of the siren grant, um, Medicare ambulance relief. Again, we don't get paid; we can't pay our people. Um, EMS workforce shortage. Obviously, there's a, a major issue there, and I'm, I'm now on to what the AAA are up to. Um, balanced billing legislation. Obviously, what we want to do there, and that sounds like you know the big bad ambulance companies. What we want to do is take the patient out of the middle. It's as simple as that. You know, it's what the insurance give us versus what it costs to actually do the job. And this is where some of these shortages are occurring because we know the cost of readiness, but we just get what those companies, I'll leave it there, think the rate should be. And in fact, we know it's not correct. And so we're working on that. Obviously, getting reimbursement from the VA, we're luckily, luckily that's been extended. Um, you know, that so there's a lot of legislative agendas going on just to keep us solvent. And obviously, this will help the documentary, shall I say, will help really, you know, promote promote what we're up to to our legislative officials. And so I think, you know, what you've done is going to help us get all of that stuff done. And by the way, you mentioned associations. Um, I, I've been very lucky to be sort of at the federal level uh, with working with NAMT, with uh, NAMSP. And again, I said no acronyms, and here are my acronyming. Here we go. So with the National Association of EMTs, National Association of EMS Physicians, American Ambulance Association, International Association of Firefighters, International Association of Fire Chiefs, try saying all that in one breath, um, have, you know, all worked together in terms of you know the legislative agenda and uh, some people way back way back when and i was one of those critics that said we have this alphabet soup of associations right and they don't get on and they're like cat and dog etc actually around the pandemic there was a meeting of the minds there was a discussion let's agree on what we don't agree what we just let's let's agree on what we can't agree on and then move on the stuff that we can and that's the legislative agenda and i'm delighted to see that those alliances continue to this day but i think briny that this is going to add to that add to that push and so thank you for doing that absolutely i mean I'm, I'm delighted that it can be used in that capacity i just think the more people know the better chance uh we have of of educating and, and advocating for this truly just cause um, and conversation is important as you said not everyone's going to win out every time but if we can if we can talk and figure out you know ways to help each other and, uh, you know, see some of the benefits to everybody from changing some of the legislation and, and promoting legislation. And then everybody wins ultimately. So honorable, but broken, very, very powerful. And we can't go without talking about your narrator 
Um, if you haven't listened to it, who's the narrator and how did you get hold of this narrator? Um, our narrator is Sarah Jessica Parker. Uh, she, like most things in this film, she came to us um, on a wing and a prayer um, through a contact. And she, I had actually met a, a wonderful paramedic um, called Alana Badgley, who uh, is a local union president in Lower Westchester and um, a tremendous force of nature. Um, and she, her uncle actually happened to be Sarah Jessica Parker's sound engineer. Um, so when we were looking for a big name to try and push our film into, you know, into a bigger spotlight, um, they, they reached out and Sarah Jessica Parker gave us her time um, for free and she narrated and she did a beautiful job, so professional, such a lovely person. Um, and it really made an incredible difference to the, um, you know, our publicity um and our outreach. So I, I can't thank her enough. Uh, she did it when she was incredible, you know, in a very busy time in her life, but whatever amplifies the message uh, we're, we're going for. And again, it was just, it was just one of many free services that were provided to the film um, for which, you know, we couldn't have done it without that. Honestly, it, it, it was a self-financed project and um, it, it wouldn't have happened without some donated services so um that, that one definitely launched the film into a different <laughs> stratosphere and and you've dropped names also you you also had some assistance from derek in terms of the uh the the, the filming and the and the stills particularly oh derek yes derek is um another salt of the earth uh angel but he uh he's he's a, a veteran and a medic derek hanley um created this wonderful book then we used we used the pictures. He's done our website. He created our whole website and is maintaining it for us. Uh, just just a wonderful person, and is actually working on also some EMS um, promotional materials uh, separately that we're going to promote too. So it, it's definitely a a very symbiotic yeah. um, process, um, and and also with with Boundary and with the EMS Memorial Fund and the EMS FDNY. Um, help funds. I mean, all these organizations have helped us and in turn, we've, we've been trying to promote them. So. Yeah. And uh, two, two reasons to be proud. One that of course, Derek uses a lot of the, the stills from my old organization, Alameda County, where I was the COO. So it's great to see, you know, some of my, uh, my former colleagues. And of course my home team prodigy is uh, a sponsor now. And of course, everything can be seen on prodigy and uh, we'll put the links in the show notes for all of that, but for those listening, uh, Bryony, how can we get onto the website and uh, really uh, read all about it? Yes, uh, the website is honorablebutbroken.org. Uh, and we're also on social media, Facebook and Instagram, honorablebutbroken, and on Twitter, X, uh, honorablebroken. Um, and those will have links to everything that we've talked about today. Um, yes, I would like just to... I, feel like I'm giving my Oscar speech and I forgot to talk about Prodigy, <laughs> but Prodigy was our, our uh, <laughs> inflating my own ego, but um, Prodigy was our sponsor from the very beginning. They were our first sponsor um, and they donated a ton of body cam video that made, again, made the film possible. Um, and uh, so we're very glad to have our film on their platform now. Um like all things that's good in EMS, a team effort always wins. So uh, I'm 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 glad you you 
gave a shout out to all those that have been involved. Um, yeah. Before we go, I'd like to ask everybody for their kind of final thoughts. Obviously, uh, we've talked about the video. We've heard we've, we've heard and seen some clips from it. Uh, but, you know, what's the one takeaway you want people to take away right now? I think um, my one takeaway would be that this is not a problem that's going to go away. And we can no longer afford any of us to ignore it. So for me, it was something that when I was aware of it, I had to do something. And I hope that people from this film take from this film that message that you have to do something. Uh, it's no good any longer just throwing up your hands and saying that's just the way EMS is. Um, it's no good saying it's somebody else's problem. Um, you know, it's... Uh, it's something that we all need to work on, um, as as a as a civilization, as a civilized society. We need to address this issue, and we need to do it quickly. That was very powerful, and uh, that's going to make an amazing soundbite. So thank you, and uh, that's about all for now. So thank you for watching EMS One Stop and listening to EMS One Stop. I'd like to thank uh, my guest, uh, Brian Gilby. Honourable But Broken can be uh, seen at uh, the links in the show notes or indeed on the screen right now. Uh, for the moment, uh, Bryony, thank you very, very much indeed for joining me. Thanks for having me, Rob. So that was EMS One Stop. Uh, thank you to my guest, uh, Bryony Gilby. Uh, I've been Rob Lawrence. Until next time, bye for now.